Blog Talk Radio. What's up, arm wrestling fans? Welcome to another episode of Arm Wrestling Nation Radio. Thursday night, special night, another show, and another bunch of issues with this technical difficulty. Making a comeback with this show has been rough the last two episodes. You know, and I, I did something different this time. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm going to record, I'm going to pre record these interviews. So I can have a hard copy of them just in case what happened on, um, I think it was Monday night. I can't even remember. This week has just been so long. You know, it's my second 12-hour shift, and it's been crazy in the CSU this week. So, um, yeah, so anyway, I wanted to um, I wanted to record them because the playback didn't work. So, you know, a couple people listened to the show, so we had to redo it. And I uploaded it on Tuesday night. And also, um, we're going to start a YouTube page, Arm Wrestle Nation Radio YouTube page. And then what I was going to do is just I'm going to upload the interviews with some pictures, just individual interviews. So if you just want to listen to the Christian Benny interview or you just want to listen to the Raymond Cote interview or, you know, tonight's special guest, I'm real excited, Tony Katowski. Um, so it'll just give you a couple different ways of listening to it. I know a lot of people out there with the not iPhones are having trouble downloading the live show, so at least you can get the replay, and then you can also hear um, you know, it on YouTube also give you another option. You can always download them on iTunes um, the next day, too, for free. With that being said, um, a lot of stuff going on in arm wrestling this week. I mean, we're super jamming it. Two shows this week. Actually, I'm going to do three shows. Um, Krill and um, Igor called me again today. They want me to do a recap of the Vendetta um, Arm Fighter 46 this Friday night. It'll be at 8 p.m. Um, and I'll be doing a replay. Hopefully, that all works out. That's the plan. So if you don't catch it on pay-per-view, you can catch my play-by-play Friday night, 8 p.m. Eastern. And I'll take you through just what I think, you know, what's going on. And we're going to play the show. And, um, you know, I'll be doing play-by-play of the matches going on. And we've got some huge matchups. I see some videos of uh, the weigh-ins today and the press conferences. It looks exciting. So, um, you know, with that being said, I'm really excited. Did a great interview with Tony last night. Um, the WAL champion, right-left, lightweight champion, two-hammer jammer. Um Second guy to do that next to Todd Hutchings. You know, Tony's just a – I had him on the show before, um, just a great guy. And, um, you know, we had a great interview. It's about an hour long, a little over an hour long. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. And, um, you know, it was really awesome watching him just 
give it his all on Tuesday night at the WAL, and it was awesome to see that on ESPN. And this Tuesday, we'll see the middleweights going at it. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. We'll be right back after this brief message from Armed Alliance. And if you don't have your new Armed Alliance gear, guys, get get it today, man. Armed Alliance, you got to get it. Get the game. Armed Alliance is committed to producing powerful arm wrestling apparel to athletes around the world. Our mission is to represent the arm wrestling community with unmatched design, unique style, and superior fit that will set you apart from the crowd. Our shirts, made from next-generation cotton polyester, allows for maximum comfort and quality. We offer custom orders for hats, compression sleeves, team or individual shirts, and arm wrestling tables. Visit our site at www.armedallianceapparel.com and gear up today. Rep the movement. Armed Alliance for Life. Hey guys, what's up everybody? I'm real excited about our guest for this evening's show, Arm Wrestling Nation Radio. The WAL Two Hammer Champion um, at the 165 pound class. Uh, we watched him in devastating fashion on ESPN2. Um, win both hammers. Uh, I want to welcome uh, special guest Tony Katowski to the show. What's up, Tony? How you doing? Doing fantastic, Craig. How are you? Man, uh, I'm feeling great. I'm excited to have you on the show, brother. Um, I got to tell you, man, um, watching you the other night on ESPN, I mean, it was just insane how much intensity you brought to the table, how much you've improved from last year. I mean, the first question I got to ask you, man, is, you know, being a puller, pulling a huge event like that and having to keep it on the down low till ESPN, like, um, you know, filmed it. I know you guys are under contract and you got a gag order and you can't talk about it, but is that kind of hard, man, after experiencing, like, one of the greatest moments in your arm wrestling career and you really can only tell your immediate family? Uh, for me, actually, no, it's not really hard at all. I'm a real quiet country redneck boy, I guess you could say. So for me, I don't like talking about my accomplishments or I kind of feel like I'm bragging it up, even though I'm not. Uh, I just don't like to talk about it much. So for me, it's really not that not that hard not to talk about it, really. It's quite simple for me. Well, that's humble, man, and uh, that's why you're a true champion, and that's why a lot of guys out there really were excited for you to win because, you're, you know, you're a real class act, and, uh, you know, it's it's really awesome to see someone – you know, come back and really dominate, you know, you, you put the epitome into, you know, hard work pays off, and you kind of said that you went back after last year, you were kind of disappointment, disappointed in the your performance, and then you kind of just took that whole year and just focused on training. I mean, what changed for you mentally when you left WAL last year to this year? I mean, what did you do Mentally, how did you prepare for the whole year of just getting ready for this huge event? Well, mentally, my whole ego changed. Uh, last year, I cared. I cared about the gym. You know, going to the gym four or five days a week. I cared about size. I cared about getting big. And uh, you know, after after the finals last year, I just realized, you know what, this is this is my sport. This is what I love to do, and I really need to start focusing on this. And my mindset completely changed to, okay, I don't want to get big anymore. I want to get stronger at arm wrestling. How do I do this? 
So what I actually did is I looked up, in my opinion, three of the best arm wrestlers in the world right out of the U.S. here. You got number one, obviously, John Berzink. So I studied hundreds and hundreds of hours of him. Then I put Todd Hutchings. I, I started looking him up, and I started I studied hundreds of hours of him. And then I looked at Travis Bajan. I didn't have to study many hours of him just because he's got one move, straight up pressure, you know. So <laughs> it was really easy to follow Travis and what he was doing. So what I did was, was I put all three of their techniques together, and I made it my own. So now I got Todd Hutchings' side pressure, and I got John Berzink's wrist and hand control, Plus, if needed, which uh, I've, I've, I, didn't, I didn't need it at finals, but I did need it in previous tournaments, pulling heavier weight guys, um, I can apply that up pressure like Travis does and bust my opponent's wrist back. So, you know, putting all three of those techniques together really, I mean, I mean, you can see the result. It panned out to be fantastic. And, you know, the only person that really even moved my arm that day was, you know, my Christian brother from Alabama, Justin Bishop. So he actually almost pinned me. He was about a quarter inch away, so I'll give him some credit. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely some work. There's still work to be done. There's no doubt about it. It's still work to be done. So when you when you leave an event and you, you, you talk last night a little bit about how you went home and you worked on your weaknesses, I mean, you know, you talk about not, you know, so much um, – worrying about size and, and those gym type of workouts. I mean, what did you change as far as your training went? I mean, because, you know, your hand just looked crazy strong. The side pressure was just insane. And, and I see what you mean because, you know, now that you tell us John Berzink and uh, Todd Hutchings was definitely, you know, people that you studied, we definitely saw that more so in your style of pulling, especially with your side pressure and how your wrist and hand were so – you know, so strong. I mean, what did you do as far as training-wise to, to change things up to make those improvements? Well, last year I had considered myself to have three major weaknesses. Uh, number one was the strap. Every single match I lost last year, uh, with the exception of Roman Gromov in the hook, uh, every match was in the strap. So I definitely needed to get better in the strap. So what I did there is I contacted some of the best strap arm experts in the country, and I pretty much had them walk me through it. In fact, one of my friends actually sent me a video. And uh, so, I mean, that was a huge help. And at that time last year, I had every intention to go up and wait. You know, I wasn't going to stay in the 165s, but, you know, then what happened was is I got sick. And I was sick for about two months straight. I don't know what it was. It was some sort of uh, fruit virus or something they were calling it. And I was sick for about two months straight, and I lost a bunch of weight, and I never really gained it back. So, I mean, that kind of determined whether I was going to stay at the 165s or go up to the 195s. And then um, um, the other major weakness that I had was my arm strength. Uh, I don't like not being able to hit somebody as hard as I can and my arm not follow my body. So that tell, that told me that I needed to work on my tendon strength inside and between my bicep and my and my forearm. Now, obviously, that goes up into the rotator cuff, too, so you need to strengthen your rotator cuff. You need to strengthen all that together in order for it to correlate and work together properly and, obviously, to avoid injury. So that's what I changed, and I, and I changed my whole regiment up to um, – you know, the West Coast Barbell System is what Todd Hutchings was on your show talking about one time. So I studied that pretty hard, too. And I'm on a, a 11-day workout cycle, meaning with, with the exception of hands and 
rotation strength, I don't work the same workout more than once in 11 days. So what I'll do is, you know, let's say on day one, I'll work my, my tendon strength by my arm. Day two, I'll work my finger and hand strength. Day three, I'll work my wrist strength. Day four, I'll work my rotation strength. Day five, now that I'm start, starting to heal from day one, I'll work my tendon strength again, just a different workout. And then to go on from day six, I'll uh, maybe work my hands again. Day seven, work my, you know, uh, rotator cuff. You know, so I'll keep working something different every single day. And my workouts are not long. They're a half hour, 45 minutes long. They're not long at all. I could probably keep them down to a half hour if I wouldn't get on the arm wrestling table and pretend like I'm arm wrestling with a big bad dude that's never standing in front of me. <laughs> yeah. The invisible guy, you know, but yeah. that also that also helps. <laughs> how does um how does table time come into your cycle? Uh, how many times a month are you getting table time in? I actually only arm wrestle maybe once a month. I don't do it any more than that. And the main reason is because I don't heal. I don't heal like I used to. I used to be able to go to tournaments, arm wrestle the entire tournament, multiple weight classes, plus do the after pulling on Saturday and then be back in the gym on Monday. Uh, but I noticed once I hit that 30-year-old benchmark, I just didn't heal like I used to. So now it takes me minimum of two weeks for that tendon pain to start dissipating. Sometimes even three weeks, like after finals, it was it was three and a half weeks, and it's finally it's still there. The pain is still there. I tried weeding my garden last week, and my tendons were just burning inside. <laughs> um, so, yeah. but I just don't heal like I used to. And me personally, and I know ninety nine point nine percent of the arm wrestlers are going to disagree with me. Me personally, I believe arm wrestling is for the new guys to the moderate guys. Mm-hmm. That are coming up in the sport, or the guys just elite, uh, just below, like the main elite athletes. Um, people like you know myself, John Brzezink, Travis Page, and Todd Hutchings. We have the technique already. We have it down pat, I mean, where we're comfortable on the table, no matter when we go on there. We've done it enough. So me, I personally believe that me arm wrestling on a table for practice is going to hurt me because now. Because my tendons are hurting inside my arms, I can't do my arm workouts, my tendon strengthening workouts at home. And that's where I believe I get all the strength from, is actually my workouts that I do at home. So for me, arm wrestling no more than once a month is is more than enough. Um, and I do that just to keep comfortable on the table. Now, who do you who do, you do that with? Do you travel to do your once a month, or do you have a team that you hook up with? So we got five different teams right here in Wisconsin, all within two hours of so they're all around, and uh, my team right here has grown substantially in the last, gosh, just in the last year, year and a half. We started out with two guys, and now we're all the way up to, you know, when we do have a practice, we're up to 10 to 12 guys. Wow. Yeah, so our team has grown substantially, and for somebody like me who changed my whole regiment, my whole workout up at the end of the year last year, I wasn't able to really base myself. Am I getting stronger? Am I getting stronger? I, I, I didn't know because you're pulling against, you know, the newer guys and the modern guys that are coming up. So you can't really base yourself on if you're actually getting stronger through that. Um, I did go to a couple of tournaments where I arm wrestled guys like Brent Rakers and Chase Stratton, and I blew through them fairly easy, but, you know, it, it, there was still doubt in my mind. I didn't really know if it was truly 
I was truly getting stronger or what I was doing was truly working until I went to regionals and I blew through just about everybody except for Randy Bowers who beat me right-handed. And then uh, in the finals against Randy Bowers, as you can see on television, I pretty much all I did was set up different against him. I did kind of like a high top row hook on him and that was his weak spot and I blew right through him. And when you pull a guy like a Randy and then you pull him again, do you study what the match that you had with him and then you, you figure out what you're going to do the next time you pull a competitor? Absolutely. I mean, if, it, if, if it's an elite guy like Randy was and I know I'm going to struggle with him, I will study him as much as I can. Now, Randy, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't have nothing out there really to study. You know, there's a couple YouTube videos. They weren't very good. Um, so I pretty much studied our match and other matches that he had pulled at regionals. And uh, there was two, two weaknesses I found in him, and you know, I already explained one. I'm not going to explain the other one just out of respect for the man. Yeah, of course, of course. People have to figure that stuff out for themselves. Of course. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I did, I did figure out two weaknesses, and I, and uh, you know, and I, I used one against him, and I blew through him pretty good. Now, you know, watching the the, the WAL. Um, this year, man, it just seemed like a total different event. I mean, I don't know. It was just like it seemed like last year, I don't know if it's just because it was new. I got the feeling that it was kind of like, I don't know, a little more staged. But this year it was just like so, I don't know if it was the venue, but it just seemed like a really, really intense tournament. Um, the cinematography was awesome. The the the. How did you feel being at that event? I mean, as an arm wrestler, I mean, was it one of those events that, you know, you just want to be able to remember for the rest of your life as far as the crowd, the ESPN, I mean, all that stuff going on? I mean, what was that like as far as, like, other tournaments that you've been a part of? Because a lot of guys tell me, man, you know, you should have went and watched it at least because it was just phenomenal, the finals. Right, and, you know, I tell, you know, I tell everybody, uh, even – especially the new guys, uh, just for the experience. For me, I mean, I could afford it when I was younger. I didn't have many bills, and I had a fairly decent job. Even for me, if I didn't even qualify, I would have went to that tournament just for the experience, um, just just to be there, just to be a part of it, which obviously then motivates you to want to be more. Last year, I remember looking at Justin Bishop and Giannis Amalek on that table for the finals and thinking, I should be up there next year. I'm going to be up there. And that's what determined me to keep the training. But as far as the whole event this year, um, it was far more organized. Last year they seemed to try to cram everything in into uh, into a day-and-a-half event. Yeah. This year it was a full two-day event, well, two-and-a-half-day with the amateurs on Friday night. And uh, so, I mean, it was far more organized. And i got to give all the credit to Karen and Frank Bean. Boy, you know what? They don't even miss a beat. You know, it really knows it was it was amazing. I was I was actually looking at Karen, seeing how she was doing everything, and I remember at one point she was announcing on the microphone, Karen, or I mean, uh, there was another gentleman talking to her from on the ground, and there was somebody else talking to her from behind her, and at the same time she was writing all this. I mean, she was doing four things at one time, and then when she was done on the microphone, she set the microphone down, finished writing, which took her a couple seconds, looked down on the ground, very calmly talked to that person, answered their question, and turned around to the person behind her and very calmly talked to him and answered his question. 
it was just like, are you kidding me? She just did all that. <laughs> Listen to two people yeah. while she was writing at the same time as she was on the microphone announcing the bracket and upcoming, upcoming wrestlers as well. You know, and she, she kept her composure, you know. It, most people, including myself, have been looking at these people like, are you guys kidding me? I'm talking to them. Leave me alone. I'll give her all the credit in the world. Yeah. She's a tremendous, uh, tremendous person as well. No, absolutely. Yeah, the whole event was so smoothly ran. TV cameras. I mean, last year, like you said, it was a learning experience. The TV cameras were set into place. Neil Pickup heads. I know that was a big issue last year with Neil Pickup at ESPN interview. Uh, trying to get an interview spot where people weren't walking in front of them. Mm-hmm. This year, it was they had the spot picked out. There was absolutely no possible way anybody could walk in front of them. I mean, there was... As far as I know, not a single glitch in the entire tournament. It was fantastic. Now, tell me a little bit about the the match with you and Paul Talbot. I mean, um, you know, when you guys slipped out and you went to the straps, Paul thought, man, this is going to be my day. But you just turned into a beast in the straps this time around. I mean, especially in the second match, man, you just held him there. And, um, I mean... What was your mindset going into that match when you slipped out? I mean, did you feel confident that you were going to win that matchup? Well, I guess I'll go into the whole story on that one. Um, what most people don't know, in fact, very few people know, I, when I was there, I didn't even tell my family that this had happened. But a couple matches before Paul Tabbitt, even before Giannis and Mullins, uh, I had to beat Giannis to get into the finals. And before that, I don't know when it happened, but either I slipped out, slammed my hand on the table, something happened, I don't know. But when I gripped up to Giannis, that first match, now every time I pulled Giannis, this year I slammed him right, as if he wasn't even there. But when I gripped up to him and I closed my hand as if I was going to arm wrestle, you know, I did it on accident. Sometimes, well, sometimes I don't do it on accident. Sometimes I do it on purpose to feel my opponent out. But when I closed my hand, a sharp pain ran from my middle finger all the way down into my wrist. And I opened my hand up real quick. And I closed it again, and it hurt severely. So right there I knew, I'm like, I have nothing. And your middle finger is controlling the rest of your fingers as well. You can't just close your other fingers and not your middle finger. It doesn't work like that. No, not at all. So at that point, I had no finger strength left. And obviously, as you and every other arm wrestler in the world knows, finger strength is one of the key parts of arm wrestling. It helps you control your opponent. And at that point, I had no finger strength. So I knew I had to get into the strap, in which takes all finger strength out of the equation. So in that match, I had to pull through Giannis' fingers to get into the strap, where I got in the strap with the both times and beat him fairly easily. And then uh, Paul Talbot, same thing. You know, I went into that match thinking, boy, you know, this, I don't know if I can do this. You know, with, a, with, a, with a good, strong hand, absolutely, I could beat Paul Talbot. But with a bum finger and very weak, very weak fingers at this point, am I really going to be able to do it? And you can even see it. In the strap, when I'm bringing Paul Talbot down, you can see my middle finger, my outer knuckle is actually turned backwards, and my other knuckles are turned in. You know, so I was feeling the, I was feeling the, the pain as I was bringing him down to the pad. You know, so I had to, I had to be smarter, I guess, on the table because I had to figure out a way to beat him with no finger strength. Wow. 
And that was another part of it, too. You know, last year I went into the tournament last year thinking, I'm stronger than everybody, I'm simply going to blow through everybody, and, yeah, that didn't turn out too well. So this year my mindset was when I went into that tournament, everybody's stronger than me, I have to outsmart everybody. So by putting my strength and my intelligence together, combining those two with all the techniques, I was able to literally, there wasn't one person there that I didn't know what they were going to do before the rest had go. Everybody was, otherwise, from Paul Tabbitt to Craig Sanders to Justin Bishop, everybody there, Giannis Amalas, I knew exactly what they were going to do before they did it. So, I mean, you could see when I beat Craig Sanders the second match, I set up with kind of like a, kind of like a dumped wrist and a little bit of up pressure. I didn't want to get it in deep hook with him because I know his endurance is tremendous, but I didn't want to bust his wrist back because I know he's tremendous in the strap as well. So I wanted to maintain control of the wrist and hand, but yet still stay in the hook but not deep in the hook, and that's exactly what I did. Because I could see he was going to go try to deep into the hook with me, and I wasn't going to have any of that. You know, guys like uh, Sanders, you know, they're known for their speed and stuff, and do you think, like, with the WHL uh, the setup, it kind of, if you don't practice that, it kind of looked like he didn't have that dynamite hit like he usually does. I don't know if it was the weight cut. Kind of, kind of looked like he was a little bit exhausted. Um, do you feel like that you have to practice that setup um, when you're going to pull on that, especially with the bigger elbow pads, the setup, all that stuff playing a huge factor in an event like this? How important is that to you? Oh, my gosh, you have to practice it. If you don't practice it, you're not going to be the best at it. As far as Craig Sanders, I know Craig was, Craig always looks like he's anorexic. He always, <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if he had to diet to get down to weight for that term. I don't know. I never did ask him, but, you know, he always looks like that. I even mentioned to him last time, uh, last time I came to Chicago a while ago, I said, dude, you look like you got cancer. What's up, man? <laughs> and uh, he's like, no, man, this is what my normal weight is. Like, <laughs> On and so forth, but, but yeah, I mean, he always looks like that. And as far as the speed part, I've been able to kind of combat that with my own style of techniques and pressures and so on uh, for the matches and before the matches and during the matches. I've been able to combat the hit so my opponent feels uncomfortable hitting me because they know if they hit me, they're going to fall away from their arm. So, I mean, it's just something something that I've learned over the years, mainly this past year. I mean, I, I got yelled at by my wife a few times for sitting on my phone and watching YouTube all night long. You know? <laughs> but, I mean, with all the studying I did this year and everything, I was able to work up a technique and combat the, the big speed hits. Yeah, you could definitely tell that, um, you, you know, you were definitely in control of all the matchups. So um, whatever you were doing, you know, definitely um, worked in your favor. Now I want to talk a little bit about, I mean, everybody was so impressed um, how big you were compared to everybody else. I mean, you cut like, they, I mean, they said that you cut like 17 pounds the last few days. But you looked full. You looked like back to normal, a hydrated Tony Katowski, it didn't even look like, you know what I mean? Like, it just, you, you didn't look like you just went through a grueling weight cut. I mean, how was the cut for that class, and what did you do as far as um, 
did you do anything different to hydrate? I mean, you just looked like you were just healthy and way bigger than everybody else that was in that class that I saw last night. Yeah, I mean, one thing is, is I look a lot bigger because I'm short. I'm <laughs> five foot seven. I'm five foot eight or five nine when I don't work out. I'm five seven when I work out. <laughs> I'm a short man, so I am very compact. And what people see is where I'm the biggest. They see my forearm. Yeah, in your arms. Right. Yeah. So I mean, my biceps. Yeah, they're big. They're they're big biceps, but they just get worked in the rest of my workout. Triceps, I really don't even do. You know, they just kind of do a small workout here and there, just to even out the biceps and the triceps a little bit. But you know, people see what makes me look big. There's certain certain muscles you can have make you look bigger than you really are, like my back. You know, obviously I work certain muscles in my back. I work it pretty intensely, so my back is big. My back is thick. I work my rotator cuff strength, so my shoulders are really, you know, like really thick. And then, obviously, my forearms, I think, is what really, I mean, makes me look the biggest. Uh, uh, Todd Hutchings said it, said it at the after party himself. He's like, man, you, you put my wrist up against this. He says, you don't have a 165-pound wrist. You get a 195-pound wrist. And lo and behold, my wrist was actually almost as big as his. I was kind of shocked about that one, but... Uh, but yeah, and then as far as the whole body, my body is shaped like a barrel. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the best way to put it. I get my genetics from my grandfather. I got pictures of him when he was 25, 30 years old. Obviously, they're in black and white. But uh, he was just like me, big, broad-chested. Never, He never worked out a day in his life. He's just no farm boy because mm-hmm. he had a big, thick, broad back and big chest, big, big shoulders. You know, that's just the way he was. And I obviously got my genetics through him. And they say, you know, a lot of people say genetics skip a generation. In this case, it clearly did. Hmm. Yeah, because you got, obviously, you got... obviously, diet plays a big part in it. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go diet. Just before you called, I just got done prepping all my meals. Okay. Um, I got meals prepped until Friday or through Friday. And then, uh, and then I'm heading to Chicago Saturday morning. Then I'm going to take some of my water, uh, Kangen water, Gate water. That stuff, freaking amazing, man. And Chuck Young, of course, he wants a shout out for that Cajun water because that's. Oh, there's no doubt. Uh, you're right. Absolutely, it's a huge difference, and people got to realize that nutrition and a great water source is the key. And you can talk about that with your experience. Yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> In my opinion, over training, over arm wrestling, over anything else, your nutrition, what you put in your body, the best way to put it is you are what you eat, you are what you drink. In a simple. So if you don't eat the right foods, if you're going to eat a bunch of starchy carbs, if you're going to eat you know, a, a bunch of you know, shit meat, if you're going to eat a bunch of junk, potato mm-hmm. chips, that's exactly what you're going to look like. Yeah. You're going to be overweight. You're going to be zitty. You're going to be, you're know, like I said, you're going to have acne. You're going to be stressed out because you're going to be more tired. Mm-hmm. Stress leads to a lot of other things in life. And then as, as far as the water thing as well, you know, people, you know, I don't know who this Holly Powell lady is. I've been told she's a troll. I don't know. But she posted on my post today that all waters are the same. Well, that's like saying a cheeseburger, venison cheeseburger, is the same as a McDonald's for a cheeseburger. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. All waters are not the same. You've got different pH levels. You can alkalize your body, put oxygen in your blood, so you feel more energized. 
Uh, when you alkalize your body, you don't get sick. Cancer can't live in an alkalized body. Mm-hmm. That's the reason why I got the machine. You know, I didn't even know about the machine a month and a half ago, but I was doing a ton of research on alkalizing my body. Mm-hmm. So once I found out about the machine, and then once I found out that Chuck sold it, it was like a no-brainer to me. And then, you know, I couldn't afford it before, but now that I won the tournament, it was like instantaneous. Like, All right, I'm getting this machine. You know, I, I did so much research on it, broke everything down. I mean, you can even do your laundry. You can take the pH and lower it so much you can do your laundry for crying out loud. Yep. You know, I mean, it's just amazing. Yep. The amount of people look at it, well, they'll look at it, yeah, it's a lot of money, and I don't want to front that much money, but it just amazes me that they'll spend $10,000 every year on junk food. Yeah, exactly. They'll spend $10,000 a year on medical bills because of the junk food that they eat, mm-hmm. but they're not willing to spend the amount of money to keep themselves healthy. Mm-hmm. I, I, guess I, I guess I'm confused on the whole, yeah, well, the whole uh, understanding of it, but... Uh, I think people sometimes have their priorities wrong, and then they just want to, like, not educate themselves, like you said, like... You know, for someone to say that all water is the same is just a ridiculous statement. But that person, like you said, maybe is a troll and just trying to, you know, be smart. But, uh, you know, any educated person that can, you know, hit a keyboard and hit search on a Google (laughs) site, I mean, you can figure it out that, you know, a great alkalized oxygenated water is going to be a big plus for you compared to a lot of the other garbage out there. And uh, there's lots of documentaries that talk about even bottled water, how bad it is for you. So, I mean, and the proof's in the pudding, man. You you see the results. You know, you're you're feeling better. You're definitely absorbing your food better, supplementation, and you're recovering, and your tendons are healing faster. So, I mean, it's a huge difference. So, and that's that's what's important, that you're seeing the results. Yeah, like I said, the, the saying I like to use is you are what you put in your body. So, hey, put junk in your body, you're going to feel like junk. Put good stuff in your body, you'll feel great. You decide what you want out of your life. And, you know, like I said, I just got done prepping my meals. My meals consist of fatty acids, uh, complex carbs, and and high-protein high protein meats. What sources of protein are you using usually? Like, what are your favorite types of proteins? Um, I actually only use one protein as far as the protein powder. Is that what you mean? No, I just mean, like, food sources-wise. Like, what do you like to eat as far as, like, like your meal prep? What did you prep for your protein? Well, right now my protein consists of mostly chicken breasts, and the reason being is that we don't buy... We don't buy a uh, hamburger from the store. We don't buy any of that stuff just because of the GMOs that are put into it and all the steroids that are injected into the cows nowadays. I truly believe it stays in their meat and it gets passed on. Uh, so we don't we don't buy a hamburger and we save a lot of money not doing it. So what we do is, you know, my family is huge into deer hunting and we do a lot of deer hunting every year. We shoot a fair amount of deer, not a lot. We do practice deer management every year, which... Like practice in deer management, you let the little guys go, you shoot the big guys, you're getting twice as much meat then because you got big bucks walking around at 200 pounds rather than little guys walking around at 110 pounds. You know, so you're getting far more meat by passing up the little guys and shooting the big guys than if you were, you know, as a so-called meat hunter's officer. I'm a meat hunter, I shoot for the meat. Well, if you shot for the meat, you pass up the little guys, you get more meat, you know. Um, but we live on venison. That's what we live on throughout the year. This time of year, deer hunt season opens in September. Obviously, it's getting kind of late. We're running out of venison. We don't have a lot left. 
So this time of year, it's mostly chicken breasts and, um, you know, protein bars. I just made some protein bars tonight. Um, I don't buy protein bars either. Two reasons. Number one reason, well, they're expensive. I don't want to spend two bucks a bar. And the second reason is because they're filled with a bunch of corn syrup and fake stuff. You know, and and the protein powder that they put into it is terrible. It's absolutely useless. So I make my own protein bars, and it costs me 17 cents a bar, and I got 30 grams of protein and all complex carbs in it. So it it only makes sense. Share your secret on these Tony Kapowski protein bars. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually quite simple. Okay. You don't even got to bake it or nothing. It takes me 15 minutes to make. That's it. And I can make 12 bars in 15 minutes. So all it is is a cup and a half of almond milk, seven scoops of protein powder, which I use Mullins whey protein powder, all natural protein powder, literally straight from the milk. I mean, there is some GMOs in the milk and stuff like that from the cows, but you're going to you're gonna spend too much money buying organic protein powder. Yeah, no, for sure. So I'll do it. Seven scoops of protein powder, a small container of peanut butter, three cups of oats, tablespoon or a teaspoon of vanilla extract, and I also use a... Uh, um, uh, a cup of flour, and then my cousin John tonight tell me about grinding up oats to use that for flour. I might be thinking about trying that in the future. He just tried it tonight, and uh, I just made protein bars as well tonight. So I'm curious to see how his turn out and, uh, and uh, see if that's the case. I'll start using oats and grind it up and then do a flour and use that as well. Sounds good, man. Sounds good and simple. That's what, uh, That makes it easy to, to follow that. But yeah, and they're only seventeen cents a bar. <laughs> That's even better. It was seventeen cents a bar. Yeah, you can't beat that. Thirty but, grams of protein for seventeen cents. I mean, and, come on. That's great protein and great carbs. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, Tony, let's. I want to just go back to your training real briefly for a minute. You talk about rotator cuff strength. I mean, what are you doing exactly for that? I mean, um, tell our listeners a little bit about some of the exercises you choose to do that. I don't do a lot of rotator cuff strength. I don't feel you need to because you get rotator cuff workout when you do uh, tendon workouts and other workouts as well. So I, I mainly do two uh, rotator cuff workouts. Number one is planks, which is obviously core as well. Um, but I do take my elbows and I hold them out close to my, the, the front of my head when I do planks. So okay. especially actually on the shoulders, not so much. I mean, it's on the core as well, but it's also a lot on the shoulders. So I do that. And then uh, your typical, you know, um, reverse fly type movement with your elbow pulling outwards. Okay. So I don't. That's that's the only rotator cuff workout I do. Everything else gets worked out in my in my dungeon, my man cave. I call it mm-hmm. Rocky Double. It's unheated. It's got a dirt floor. It's nothing special. It's it's forty below. I'm out there working out and long ponds and a, yep. a mobile suit. You know so. And it's 95 degrees in there. It's about when it's 95 degrees. It's about 110 in there, and I'm just playing there working out. You know, yeah, that's a good way of cutting weight. <laughs> yeah, right. It's the easy way. Yeah, there you. Yeah. So, is that where you do all your training, basically at home? You don't go to a gym or anything like that. Yep, I do a majority of my training. I go to the gym once a week to work my internal wrist strength, meaning my just typical wrist curls and stuff that I can't do comfortably in my shed because I don't got the room nor the benches. Okay. Stuff like that. So, I mean, that's the only day I go to the gym and I usually do that, like, on a Thursday or a Friday. And then, or, and that's whenever it falls into my workout. It might be a Tuesday, you know. Yeah. 11 days falls on different days every single week. 
So, so when you when you yeah, talk, I mean, when you talk about pulling like table time and you're sore, those workouts after are you more doing like is it more of a recovery type of workouts afterwards or how is the training does it does it vary a little different after a practice? Yeah, I mean, that's why I don't practice that much. It's because, like I said, I don't heal. Mm-hmm. I feel my tendon strength, my tendon workouts that I do every four to five days. That's what's really building my tendon strength up. And uh, when I arm wrestle, when I do a practice, and I'll have to go a week and a half to two weeks without doing an arm workout, a tendon workout. I call them arm workouts, but mm-hmm. a tendon workout. So I feel I'm losing a week and a half to two weeks of building strength in my tendons. Now, I did build some with the arm wrestling, but to really build the strength, I, the power, I shouldn't say strength, the power, you really have to do the, you know, the, the tendon workouts. So for, so for you, as far as tendon training, like, what would be a, some of your bread and butter type of exercises that you would do? Well, number one thing I do is all small movement exercises. A lot of people do rolls with their back and, and stuff like that on cable machines. I don't touch a cable machine for the fact if you were to take a look at a cable machine and you were to watch your elbows when you're pulling down on the cable machine, mm-hmm. they move a foot to a foot and a half. Your your elbow does not move a foot to a foot and a half on that arm wrestling table. Mm-hmm. So I stick to, stick to all small movements, and uh, one of my favorite movements is um, uh, just pure pure back and up pressure. I grab onto you know obviously a lot of bands now. I grab onto a lot of bands and. Now, every workout I do is with my wrist in. The reason why I do every workout with my wrist in is because now my, my ligaments and my tendons in my wrist are getting worked as well. So then I, I simply pull side pressure, but yet pull back while my elbow stays on that pad. Okay. Um, I also do, a, a, a four or five nights later, I'll do a pure up pressure workout, which is a Travis Bajan move, where I'll just simply work on pure up pressure with the bands. You know, we're all lean down. Double fouls don't matter at that point. You're just simply mm-hmm. working that up pressure, um, kind of like Travis does. You're just leaning back, putting all the pressure on that hammer curl tendon strength muscle. Now, do you do a, a bunch of different exercises? You say your your workouts are about a half hour. Like, what would you say? How many exercises and how many sets would you smash into a workout? Well, it all depends. It all depends on what I'm doing. So, like the up pressure workout, obviously I don't have as much to do. So I, I may do seven different sets of them, seven different sets. And if I'm on a mass workout, uh, the only reason I do mass workout is just to change it up so my body don't get used to what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Every six weeks I change it up. So if I'm on a mass workout, you know, I'll do a, I'll explode up, and then I'll I'll slowly bring my arm down for about three to four seconds, then I'll explode up again. So that one lasts a little bit longer. I might only get four to five sets out of that one. But when I do a pure power workout or my mega power workout, you're talking one at max two reps. Okay. And there's a lot of weight on there. So then that, now that one's going to go a little faster. And that one I might get seven sets in it. But I kind of, I try to max it at 45 minutes. You know, like I said, if I wasn't arm wrestling that invisible man across the table, <laughs> half hour every single day. And, um, like, so your weights are moderate, heavy repetitions low, I mean, does that vary all depending on where you're at in your training? Yeah, I mean, my last rep, my last rep on every single set that I do is always a failure. Okay. There's no, there's no question. So if I'm doing a mass workout with a negative of three to four seconds and a hold of one to two seconds, 
and I write everything down. You have to write stuff down because, number one, you can gauge yourself on how much stronger you're getting, and two, if you don't write it down, by the time you get back to this workout, it's another 13 weeks from now. You're not going to remember the weights that you were doing, so now you're sitting there for two weeks out of that six weeks trying to figure out what your true weight is. You know, so this way, 13 weeks from now, when I start that mass workout again, I can look back and see I'm doing a green band, a blue band, and a red band, mm-hmm. and I'm doing it for six reps for three-second negative and two-second hold and explode up. So then I start with that, and if I can get nine reps or eight reps, fantastic. That means I got stronger. So you do a lot of holds. Is that is that like the majority of your workout? No, that's just for the math workout. Okay. Like for side pressure, are you doing a lot of static holds? Are you doing repetitions? I actually don't even work side pressure. Okay. I don't work side pressure because I have golfer's elbow issues. Okay. So every night, for about 20 to 30 minutes, I'm working on my golf elbow elbow issues, rubbing my fascia, breaking my fascia out, breaking the scar tissue out of there, trying to loosen up my muscles to get rid of the golfer's elbow. Now, do do you ice at all or anything like that? Um, any kind of recovery, special stuff that you would do after training if you're sore? Yeah, I mean, generally after 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 training, I'm not sore at all. Okay. I mean, it's like the two to three days later that the pain starts setting in. So, um, but yeah, I do ice it. I try to take care of it. I've tried heat ice. I've tried that many times. It's never worked for me. So now I'm just icing. Yeah. So, I mean, but it's not real bad. I'm going to Chicago this weekend. I still have golfer's elbow issues right now. I'm hoping it doesn't hurt that bad when I'm arm wrestling. I generally try to give myself at least six weeks off before I pull again, but obviously this one didn't work out that way. They wanted us in Chicago at this date. So now uh, I only get four weeks off and right back at it again. So you like to take six weeks off between tournaments? Yeah, before I go and pull a big tournament again, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Is this a tournament, a WAL kind of event that's going on in Chicago? Yeah, so what it is is going on at uh, the, the Crazy Port in the west side of Chicago. Okay. It's an amateur and an open tournament. And then after the amateur and open tournament, they are having a three-on-three um, uh, mega series match. So it's going to be my teammates are myself, Paul Votelka, and Daniel Blanchard. And the other team is Paul Talbot. Robert, I can't even pronounce his last name, mm-hmm. Justice or something, mm-hmm. and then uh, Mark Davies. Okay. So it's a point system. So each person's going to arm wrestle the other person on the other team three times, and the team with the most wins gets the winning prize money, and the team who loses there's still prize money to pay for their trip. Wow, that's awesome. That's a good little turnout. Right, so I'm excited for it. I'm looking forward to it. Um, like I said, I wish you had more time off, but in order to keep building the sport, I mean, you have to support the sport. So Absolutely. for me, say no would be just downright foolish. You know, if, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna want to build a sport, build arm wrestling up in general, and then not go to a tournament to try to build a sport is downright foolish. It'd be selfish. So pain or no pain, I'm going here. Loss or no loss, I'm going there. And whatever happens in the end happens in the end. I'm doing it for the sport anyway. No, no, you're right, and that's that's what it's all about. It's all about the uh, integrity and the uh, making the sport better for the newcomer newcomer that's coming into the sport, you know. And that's what's going to build the the future of arm wrestling, you know. 
I'm sure in a couple more weeks when people, you know, see you around and, and it's probably happening already because, you know, you were saying your your Facebook is blowing up um, with tons of notifications and stuff. And yeah, and stuff. I'll be the first to apologize to everybody. I have not even accepted friend requests yet. I haven't even got to my notifications. <laughs> I got hundreds of friend requests. I got hundreds of notifications. I finally got to some of my messages. That's how I got to yours, Craig. Yeah. Some of my messages today, I didn't get to all of them. I apologize. But I'm, I'm kind of like OCD in that way, too. I don't like the little red circle on the bottom of my phone. Mm-hmm. Every time I open my phone up and I get a notification saying, this person commented on this, this person commented on that, and I'll go on Facebook and see all those little notification buttons down there. I can't go in there and just say, screw them all. I don't care because... I also have to, I feel obligated to respond to people. Yeah. So I apologize now. I'm going to get to you. It's just I'm trying to have the, have the time to do it, to yeah. say the least. And that's that's the part of, uh, you know, now being a champion, two, two hammers. The only other guy, you know, has done that <clears throat> is um, Mr. Hutchings. So, uh, you know, unless something happens uh, when we start watching the rest of the WAL, which I'm really excited to Every Tuesday night, we're going to be watching some crazy arm wrestling. It's going to be exciting. And, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you um, about just about the preparation coming into an event. Like, when you're getting ready for the finals or, or, or a big event, you know, minus what you're doing now because you're still kind of fatigued from the finals and stuff or, you know, it's not your typical jumping into a tournament. How many days off do you take to rest? before a major event? Well, it depends on arm strength or wrist strength or hand strength working out. Um, um, Generally, my wife hates me the last two weeks before a tournament because everything is perfect, all the way down to cutting my nails 14 14 days out of the tournament. That way they're at the perfect length that they don't poke into my skin (laughs) that, you know, my skin's not rolling over them. I feel weaker, and 
You know, and I talked to uh, Tim Bresnan about that, and he said, you know, he feels the same way. Like you said, you feel small or soft, and all of a sudden you get that first match out of the way. Is that something that you, you had to get accustomed and used to, um, you know, being an arm wrestler and, and getting ready for some of these huge events like this? Yeah, I used to work out all the way up to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for an event, and um, pretty much after I turned that 30-year-old benchmark again, yeah. When I started using my head more rather than using my head and listening to my body more. And going to my first tournament after I took that full week plus off, I felt that I was much stronger at that tournament by doing so. Um, all the way up to the finals tournament, it was kind of funny because my brother, he, he walks around at about 163, 165, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't like to practice on the table. I don't like to warm up on the table. Um, just because, you know, I like to warm up my tendons rather than my muscles, and a lot of people work up their muscles on the table. So I like to just warm up on the side, have somebody hang on my arm. And I, I had my brother, I said, go ahead and put some pressure on, and I, I pulled him up, and uh, I kept, damn near lifted him right up off the ground. <laughs> I said, no, seriously, put some pressure on, and he literally just let, let go with his legs. And I pulled him up again, and I hurt him. So I felt really bad. <laughs> I tore him up a little bit. But um, that is just a perfect example of how much stronger you can actually be if you have a truly healed muscle. You know, if I was working out all the way up to Wednesday or Thursday, could I have done that? Probably not. I don't think I could have. But, you know, mentally, like you said, it's the biggest hurdle. you got to get over that hurdle of, okay, I'm not as big, I'm not as strong, but ultimately, you just look around. You don't have to be big to be strong. No. So you just look at some of the best arm wrestlers. You know, look at that little pipsqueak, Matt Harris. Yeah, he's listening. I just said that. <laughs> he's, a, he's a good guy. I like him. Uh, he's a good guy. You're right. No. I think it all. Yeah. All. And, but yet, he's strong as an ox. Yep. That's what I mean. Jamie Sheldon, another one. He's small, but yet he's tall, but mm-hmm. small, strong as an ox. Paul Talbot, tall, but real skinny, spring bean arms, and his left arm is... You know, once you get that once you get that tendon locked in there, you might as well kiss it goodbye. That, that match is done. Just give it up. Now, do you um do you train like any kind of cardio type of workouts or legs or anything like that, or is it strictly just arm wrestling? Well, I tell you what, these legs are for. The only time these legs get used is if they're being chased by a bear. <laughs> so, and I do live in the woods. Yeah, well, that could happen. So right? It's possible. I had bears in my backyard this year. So it could very well happen, but I haven't been chased yet. So it kind of gives you a good example of how much these legs get worked out. <laughs> I do got a job where I walk about. Yeah, I was just going to say that helps, right? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I got a job that well, four to five miles a day I'm walking, so I am doing a lot of cardio, I guess you could say, compared mm-hmm. to the average office job or something. But uh, but yeah, these these legs don't do any 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 form of lifting. And the only reason I don't do my legs is because I wanted to stay light. Yeah. And when I worked my legs back in ninth grade, they ballooned up to the point to where I couldn't wear my regular boxers anymore because my legs wouldn't fit in them. Mm-hmm. So my legs, you know, would just balloon up if I worked them, and I don't want that. Mm-hmm. I want to keep my weight down. I want all my strength to be in my forearms, my back, my rotators, where they need to be, you know. So when, when you say keep your weight down, what, what do you walk around at? before you cut? I usually walk around at about 185 to 190. Okay, so then I'll walk around, uh, I'll, I'll cut down to about, like I said, about 180, 181 benchmark, and then I'll just lose the rest in water, which, you know, 
mean, the cut wasn't bad. I was I was right on key the entire time, but what killed me was that, that steam room. That steam room, yeah. uh, it's just brutal. It took me six hours to lose four pounds. It was 169.2 in the morning when I woke up, and it took me six hours to lose that four pounds. And after I did some reading and stuff afterwards, come to find out that steam rooms, you sweat a ton mm -hmm. because it's so it's such high moisture in there. Your body's, your, your skin is literally taking in yeah. at the same time as you're sweating. Yeah. So it's, that's the last time I'll ever use a steam room to, to cut again. That's never going to happen again. What are you going to do next time? Do you think you're going to use a sauna or a hot tub? I prefer a hot tub. Yeah, me too. Yeah, anytime you can submerge yourself, you're going to sweat more underneath mm -hmm. the water, even though you don't feel like you do. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, give an example, at the hotel at Regionals, they had a very hot, a hot tub there was very warm, and, and I was sweating profusely. And it took me, I had 4.5 pounds to go before I made weight, and I actually lost 5.3 pounds in a matter of 45 minutes. You know, so, I mean, and I was, you know, I'd sit in there for 10 or 15 minutes, get out for a few minutes, mm -hmm. back in for 15. Well, just under an hour. Yeah, just under an hour, I lost 5.3 pounds. So, it was like, yeah. you know, just to give you an example, it always submerge yourself. Yep. That's the way I look at it. And, and it seems more doable, you know. You're not so miserable. I mean, you're, of course, you're miserable cutting weight, but it's just not as hot. Like, saunas to me and steam rooms are just so hot, I just don't. It's really just... Freezing at 110 degree, 115 degree air. Like crazy. You know, there was, I was thinking about that in the steam room. I'm like, why can't they make, like, some sort of pack to put over your face so you're not breathing in 110 degree yeah, air? Exactly, exactly. Some sort of ice pack or something. Some kind of mask that you can wear. <laughs> right. That's, I mean, ultimately, your body, it's not bad. It's not hard to... I mean, it's, it's not terrible when you sweat. What sucks is when you breathe in the hot air. That's what kills you. Exactly. You know. So I mean, um, you know, it's. And I'll bring up. I'll bring up one more thing too. Uh, I don't know how many people actually noticed it was, you know, my heart rate at the table. Uh, anything about the ESPN show, the most I was excited to see was that heart rate, because you know it was my focus all year to be extremely calm at the table, save and conserve my energy. And when they had the heart rate monitor on me and then on Justin, when we arm wrestled, Justin, Justin's heart rate was like 190 at that. It was like pumping out of his chest. Wow. You know, and my heart rate was 95. Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the difference in heart rate, mm -hmm. me, you got to stay calm. you got to be collective because if you get that exceptionally fast racing heart, that means your blood's flowing that much faster. Mm -hmm. Your brain's not thinking clearly. You're 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 just not doing things as clearly as you normally would do them. So I mean, it's good. you're not going to have that huge hit, but you'll be able to think faster. And I I believe I had a faster hit than everybody else there that day. I didn't go sideways with the hit, but I countered with the hit, so they couldn't bring me sideways. Mm -hmm. Was that during the match the heart rate measurement, or is that just at the start? That was the entire match. Okay, wow, jeez. So I stayed exceptional. I think, if I remember right, last year when he was when John Berzink was pulling Devin Moret, I think John was at like 110 and Devin was at like 130 or 140. I can't remember exactly, but yeah. you know when it said 95, I looked at it like this. Wow, I'm really calm at that table. Interesting. I didn't realize I was that calm. You know, but you know, that's, I believe that's a huge, huge part to my success as well as staying calm at the table.
and being collective and thinking clearly. When you rehydrate, of course, you know, you're going to drink lots of water, but any particular foods you like to use to get yourself back? It's all carbs. Um, a lot of people, you know, let's let a lot of people in on a little secret here, and I told Adam Wilmot this as well. A lot of people will load up. In fact, I've seen a couple of people eating beef jerky mm-hmm. and the protein bars. Mm-hmm. They'll load up on a protein. But this is what you got to look at. Protein is for building muscle. You've already built all the muscle you you can build. You can't build muscle in that last 24 hours. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. You're trying to save. Well, now you're trying to bring water in. So you want to cut out the protein, not completely, but cut out most of the protein and focus on carbohydrates, not starchy carbs, complex carbs like your rice and your sweet potato, you know, stuff like that. And I also bring an entire shaker of sea salt with me. Okay. I dump the salt on everything that, to the point where I can barely stand it. Mm-hmm. That's the mind I didn't have salt for six days, five days. Yeah, yeah, no, your body's... Sea salt is, like, overwhelming. Um, but even in my water, I dump it in my water, okay. I dump it on all my food. You know, I eat salt on everything. So when I arm, when I weigh in at 165, people will see me 24 hours later, and that finals, I was roughly about 185 when I arm muscles. Mm-hmm. I gained about 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. People look at me and see how much bigger I am, and they look at how do you do that. Well, you focus on your complex carbs, and you focus on your sodium intake. You know, once you get that, broken down to what works for you. Now, everybody is different. Mm-hmm. I've done this enough times where I got it broken down to a science. Now, the finals, I didn't have a perfect perfect rehydration. For the regionals, I had a perfect rehydration. Regionals, I was pushing 192, 193. Okay. For finals, I was 185. I could have done it better. I had diarrhea, um, and I felt sick. I had a lot of acid reflux. You know, I did not have a perfect rehydration for finals, but I did for regionals. But you gotta you gotta figure out what works for your body. Yeah, and I was just gonna, thinking, I was gonna say like you, know you say you got it down to a science. Table like, salt. If you take regular table salt, you're wasting your time. Yeah. Go right there, just as good as table salt. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know. Now, do you feel like there's a fine line to like not get too full and pumped up, like with all the carbs and water and stuff? Is there is there a fine line for you that you don't want to have your muscles blow right up, you know, and, and fatigue quicker? Oh, absolutely. And, and when you rehydrate, as anybody who's done it, you know, like Justin Bishop rehydrates very similar to the way I do. In fact, I learned a lot from Justin. And uh, he he gets to about just about the same weight I do, maybe a little bit lighter. So, I mean, he still has to lose just about the same amount of weight as me, too. So we're very similar on that aspect. But you've got to be very careful. As far as water you take in or Pedialyte that you take in, you can't have any more than a liter per hour because if you're taking any more than that, your body can't handle more than a liter per hour, so you're wasting it. Um, and and uh, as far as food, you know, food you're taking is very minimal, very minimal complex carbs. You're never getting full. You shouldn't get full. Um, you, you'll get the water belly. There's no doubt about it. Um, that's the hardest part. I mean, I've done this half a dozen times, and I still drink too much water just because you're so dehydrated that, you just can't help it. The water is sitting there. You just can't help but to drink too much, you know. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you just got to be very careful. You can't drink too much water. You can't have too much food. And if you're eating candy, well, I'd have slap you in the face. What <laughs> yeah, I was. You know what? You just stole the words out of my mouth because I was just gonna say, like, there's so many guys that do a weight cut and then they're eating pizza and chocolate bars, and 
I mean, I even saw Todd Hutchings, like, you know, with cereals and sugary stuff. And, I mean, I, I just don't, I don't know, man. I mean, it's kind of crazy. That's one of the few things I do indulge on. Uh, I shouldn't say indulge. It's kind of like a tradition of mine. I'll go down to to the local store, when I, wherever I am, and I'll get a small little container of milk, a little small little, like, drinking container of milk, nothing big, and I'll get a little box of Raisin Bran. And that's going to be my snack before I go to bed. Okay. I'll also have Subway Sandwich, which obviously will be chicken breast. So I'll put some mayonnaise on there for the fatty acids, and I'll put some vegetables on there, and spinach. Not much more, but then I open up the... I open up the sandwich and I pour the sea salt on it. Literally pour it so you can't stand it. And then I'll have that. I wake up at like eleven midnightish and I have a six inch soap. And I'll drink some water. I'll drink at least a liter of water. And I'll go back to bed. And then I'll wake up again at one to two o'clock in the morning. I have the other six inch sub, and I'll drink another liter of water. You know, so I mean, there's so much going into the rehydration. The rehydration is far more important than the dehydration. Mm-hmm. You can still dehydrate wrong, but if you de- if you rehydrate right, you can still get up to that 95 to 100% strength level. So the rehydration is the most important and the most vital part of getting back up to 100% strength. And when I see, like I've seen somebody, I think it was Paul Vertalka, I think, actually, eating a bag of beef jerky just after he weighed in. I'm thinking, so what are you doing, Matt? <laughs> It's the last thing you want to do. And I seen some guy eating peanut butter one time. I'm like, what in the world are you eating peanut butter for? You want rice or you want mm-hmm. a sweet potato or something carb-like to get you mm-hmm. get you filled up with water because you're not building muscle anymore. You're, you're retaining water. That's your ultimate goal. No, absolutely. And I think some people like to use fat sometimes, but I don't know, man. When you're in a strength sport, you need complex carbs in my opinion you need to get the water in there and you need to fill back up again and you know some people you know do it with fats but i just it doesn't never works for me i've tried to diet that way and before in my past when i was bodybuilding and it just my muscles were flat and i just you know i didn't feel good at all you know i always needed to have um carbs in my diet but Right, and I'll use I'll use fatty acids too. I'll use avocados. Yeah, but you're using carbs with it though, so that's the right. Like exactly. So. I'll use all that. And another main ingredient that I use that I haven't yet see anybody else use, which is mind-boggling to me, is isotonic vitamins. It's the powder vitamin. Yeah. You know, I got the isotonic vitamins all the way down to your vitamin B complex, your your uh, calcium, your multivitamin, and it comes in the powder form. And there's four different bottles. And what's so great about it is that obviously you're not drinking any water the last about 12 to 14 hours before weigh-ins. And what's so great about it is it's that powder form. And if you take it and you pour it in your mouth, it's literally like a pixie stick. If you like candy, it's fantastic. Mm. You know, so I take, when I'm dehydrating myself, I'll take three to four helpings every single day of these isotonic vitamins. And when I rehydrate, I take minimum of four helpings every single day to help me rehydrate. See, when you dehydrate, your calcium levels just drop down to nothing mm-hmm. when you dehydrate. So when you rehydrate, to bring all those levels back up or at least keep them, keep them at a steady rate, you gotta, you got to take some sort of decent vitamin. Isotonic vitamin is going to cost you about 150 bucks a month. 
but, you know, how bad do you want it? Mm-hmm. How bad do you want it? So, you know, I spent the money, I bought the vitamins, I prepped everything, I made sure everything was perfect for the cut, everything was perfect for the rehydration. My vitamin intake was perfect, so when I rehydrated, all my vitamins were already in the box. They were there. They just wanted water. Mm-hmm. So then they sucked up the water. I mean, my, I ballooned right up. I mean, you see me, I ballooned up. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I feel strong. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. I feel strong. And at finals, even though the rehydration wasn't perfect, I felt I was at a hundred percent. You know, I I felt that I was uh, I felt that I was solid. And obviously, you've seen that too. Only one person moved my arm all day. No, absolutely, no. It was a total different beast that I've seen. You know, and it definitely made a difference. And like you said, you you spend a little bit of money to make twenty grand. It's uh, definitely a plus investment. So I mean, right. Know. And you're not guaranteed the twenty grand. You still got to put the work into it. No, you're right. Like everybody else does. All the other elites. I can guarantee every elite athlete out there. Whether it's football, baseball, soccer, tennis, arm wrestling, it doesn't matter. Every lead athlete out there is prepping their meals. Mm-hmm. They're working continuously day in and day out to make sure their body gets the nutrition that it needs to continue on to the next day and gain as much strength and energy as it can possibly get. The more energy you get, the more you can work out. Yeah. And also, I mean, there's so much put into it throughout the year that people, well, they lax, and, and it's not that bad that they lax. I mean, some people just enjoy arm wrestling. By all means, that's fantastic. But, you know, some people want to be the best at it, like myself or people like Craig Tuye, Justin Bishop, Travis Bajan, Brzezank, you know, we want to be the best. So we focus on the best. We, we train like the best. We eat like the best. And diet is diet and water. You put that in your body, you are what you eat, period. Plain and simple. And that's a good lesson for people to learn out there because, you know, it's so important to, uh, you know, have good nutrition. And uh, like you said, it gives you the energy, gives you the recovery. And the bottom line, I mean, you know, you're preaching what you're doing and it's paying off. And, you know, like I said earlier, hard work pays off. You're the epitome of that. You proved it, you know, this year, winning two hammers. And like you said, you know, I was talking to Albert Kozar last night and um, he said, man, you know, it's so cool what you said at the end about the money wasn't important. It was all about the hammers and pride, you know, and that's what an arm wrestler that loves a sport, you, you can really tell that you love the sport, and, uh, you know, that's what it's all about because, like you said, the money will come and go. Of course it's nice, but those hammers will be there forever. Right, they're priceless. You can't buy these. Well, you could buy the hammers. You can't buy the hammers, but... <laughs> For me, you can offer me five grand for the hammer. I'll laugh at you. It's not going to. Of course, you will. You know. <laughs> I mean, I can... yeah. We won't be seeing you auction them off on eBay in about two or three years from now. <laughs> <laughs> I highly doubt it. Unless yeah, no. Ain't going to happen. No, I, I, I don't but think so. So I can put these. I can put these hammers, and it's, it's about the kids and stuff like that. I can put these hammers on the mantle of my house. Of course. Now you can. You can, you can put them into an exercise program, like Todd Hutchings does. Right. I think that was more for show, though. I know, I know, I know. That's awesome. But when my kids come walking into the house every single time, they look up on that mantle. Mm -hmm. They don't know the story that Dad told them that how much blood, sweat, and tears literally went into earning, keyword earning, Mm -hmm. and didn't get nothing given to me. I had to earn them. And the blood, sweat, and tears that went into them, this is what really matters. Mm -hmm. I don't know of a single person out there that put 20 grand on their mantle. 
No. <laughs> Grant can buy something great. It can buy you a new motorcycle. That's fantastic. But eventually, that motorcycle is going to get boring. Go around to Wisconsin, you're going to be parking that motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Tony, before I let you go, man, what's next after Chicago? Are you going to be just focusing next year defending your title? Well, you know, after Chicago, first thing, I'm going to take a few months off. I'm exhausted. I'm beat. My elbows, my joints, everything is sore. I'm in a lot of pain. I shouldn't even be pulling in Chicago, but I am. And I'm just going to take a few months off. I'm still going to train. I'm not going to arm wrestle, though. So I'm still going to train at home to work my arms or my tendons or my tendons or my, my hands and my wrists and stuff. And um, heading to Minnesota in August to help Josh Hanlon at a tournament. I'm going to help him a little bit. I'm going to ref for him. I'm not going to pull the tournament. I'm just going to ref it. And then I'm um, heading to another local tournament here in Wisconsin to help rough that one. And then what my manager, yes, I have a manager. Mm-hmm. My manager and I are doing is we just opened up an LLC. We're going to be fully insured here real soon. We are opening up, I'm calling it the Wisconsin Arm Wrestling Series. Awesome. We're going to have a tournament starting every single month, starting in October. So we already have a venue booked up for October, November, and December we're working on. We have one booked up for January, and we're still looking for other venues for the remainder of the year. But it's not it's not hard finding venues. People are definitely wanting a tournament in their in their establishment. There's no doubt about it. So, but my goal here is to to do is to pretty much blow up arm wrestling in the state of Wisconsin. I wish everybody would do that. You can have venues and bars. You can have it in hotels. You can have it wherever you want, and our entry fees are going to be dirt cheap. We're talking probably, you know, ten bucks an hour. You know, just just because we want people to come and enjoy the sport. We're going to have youth youth tournaments. We're going to have multiple things going on at all times. Obviously, I can't handle it all myself. My manager can't handle it all myself. So I got everybody else helping me as well, like Steve Southworth, um, Steve Baldwin, John Chyshevsky. You know, they're all going to be helping me run these tournaments. So um, anybody also, I'll throw this out there, anybody looking for the grip of death that I had on television, look up John Shishevsky on Facebook. He's a friend of mine. He can make you one. Uh, price is up to John. We haven't really discussed it. It's going to be up to him. So he can make you one. He does amazing metal work. So by all means, look him up, the grip of death, if you want one made. Now that's the grip machine you had the fat grips on? Yeah, I had a fat grip on there. I generally don't use the fat grips. I pretty much put them on there just for television. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I, I generally don't use them because me being a 165-pound weight class guy, there is nobody in that weight class that has a hand that's thick as a fat grip. No. So I have no reason or no – it's not necessary for me to grab onto a, a, a hand or a fat grip that's going to cause my fingers to be – only a quarter of the way in. Mm-hmm. You know, I need I need something that's going to be halfway in because that's my opponent's hand size. Mm-hmm. Tony, you want to give anybody a shout out, a thanks to before I let you go? Everybody, <laughs> <laughs> everybody out there, everybody who helped my family, my cousin John, everybody, Steve Salter, Lee Bonnet, uh, Paul Fisher, Steve Rao, everybody out there. I'm sure I forgot a bunch. I apologize, everybody on my team. And I want to put a big shout-out there to everybody in general because if it wasn't for you guys, you as other arm wrestlers, you as spectators, 
the sport wouldn't be where it is today. So we need to keep pushing. We need to keep grinding. We need to start making Steve Kaplan some money. Because if we can't make Steve Kaplan money, there's no reason for him to continue to do what he's doing. So we all need to work together. Like I said, I'm going to Chicago this weekend. I shouldn't even be going due to my the pain I have. But because we want to build a sport, I'm going anyway. I'm going to endure the pain. I'm going to push through the pain to just try to market the sport. Absolutely, man. Well, Tony, congratulations, man. Best of luck. Thank you for being such a humble and uh, great champion and uh, a real great role model for the sport. Cool. Thanks, Craig, for having me on. Country Crush, baby. The handles are made of polymer plastic that sits freely over a shaft, causing a free-spinning motion. The frame is constructed of a high-grade steel and made here in the USA. The handle, while you can work many different exercises, was designed to challenge your hand strength. Focusing on overall arm strength, adding a balance and stability to your workout. By adding rolling handles, the Country Crush allows the user to work many different movements. Not easily done by similar handles, and by closing your wrists off at the end of each movement, you work your wrist and strengthen it at the same time country crush baby what are you waiting for get in the game if you ain't traded with the country crush then you ain't traded check out www.countrycrush.net now the gully grip is a free rolling handle that inevitably causes more stability in your wrist than any other grip on the market it's also much more accessible to any cable system allowing more progressive overloading movements producing a higher outcome in overall strength in not only your shoulder girdle but also those muscle groups important for arm wrestling visit gullygrip.com that's g-u-l-l-e-y grip.com apply your strength Guys, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. Great interview with Tony Katowski. Great champion. Very humble. And the uh, thing I like about Tony is he's very respectful and a very humble champion. And uh, a lot of insight on how he trains. And I really like to try those Tony Katowski protein bars. Uh, they sound delicious. So, um, you know, <clears throat> it's great to, uh, to hear from Tony after his big win. Um, it's awesome that he's uh, such a humble champion and uh, wish him the best of luck this weekend in Chicago. Speaking of this weekend, guys, don't forget to get, I think tonight, was tonight uh, yesterday actually, so don't forget pay-per-view, Arm Bets TV. You can get to watch the Arm Fighter 46 in Vegas, and if you miss it, tune in tomorrow at 8 p.m., and hopefully we'll be doing a, a wrap-up show, um, if everything works out, on the Vendetta um, series. I'll do a play-by-play for you guys and uh, keep you informed of what happened. And um, I'm really looking forward to seeing these matches with these great arm wrestlers. So uh, until tomorrow, thanks for tuning in. And thanks, guys, for listening and all your support. And uh We'll get with you guys tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern. The Commission, Uncle Paulie, P. Diddy, Cesar Leo, De Janeiro, Charlie Baltimore, Iceberg Slim, The Post Shady, Frankie Baby. Mm -hmm.